The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, Safety for All, nonprofits leading the charge in workplace safety advocacy and education. Welcome to another episode of Healthier Workplaces. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Media and your host for this program from AIHA. Stay with us. The newly updated sixth edition of the Noise Manual is available at the AIHA University Bookstore. This edition contains new chapters on impulse noise, ototoxicants, fit testing, and community exposure. Noise is an omnipresent hazard for industrial hygienists and OEHS practitioners. Find the right information with this valuable resource for noise prevention and more in your workplace and communities. Update your noise knowledge today. Available in print and digital formats. Visit AIHA.org noise for a free preview. AIHCE 2023 in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Bob Krell, host of Healthier Workplaces, and we're here for some special edition shows. This is our last special edition. We're coming to you live, which is an anomaly for our broadcast because we don't normally do live broadcasts. We're usually recorded. So anyway, welcome, everyone. Um, super excited uh, having a guest, well, several guests, but uh, our uh, primary guest is the closing keynote for today's session at AIHCE, and I had the uh, pleasure of introducing our uh, interviewing Freddie a few months back for one of our recorded broadcasts. So, uh, Freddie uh, Lajavardi, mm -hmm. uh, who is the uh, president and CEO of the Cisse Puerte Foundation. Um, and again, we, we did a broadcast a few months back on that. Uh, very interesting stuff you're involved with with STEM and helping trying to, uh, you know, bring in underserved communities into the, into STEM programs, uh, and we'll get more into that later. But we're also joined by two other ladies here. So uh, from the Safety for Nonprofits, uh, S4NP is your acronym, right? And so to my immediate uh, immediate left, uh, Sharon, uh, sh uh, excuse me, Nancy Orr, sorry, I got it backwards, who is the uh, executive committee. Committee member, yes. Committee member. And uh, Sharon Schindel, who is the Arizona lead for it, right? So both of, both of you are involved with that, and you have an affiliation with Freddie's Say Say Puerity Foundation. We'll talk, we're working together, so we'll talk about that further. Um, so much to unpack here in 30 minutes, at the very least. So I guess I guess the first off, um, and Freddie, I, I don't want to make you tip off a lot of what you're doing later today in your uh, in your uh, keynote, but um, just give me a, a just a, a quick synopsis of of what your core goals are with Say Say Puerity, and I know. STEM-oriented, but let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay, so CISA Puede Foundation, uh, the mission is basically to serve the underserved populations in our community to get them ready for the 21st century. Uh, 
especially in STEM, that's the focus. Um, in our case, it happens to be one of our primary areas is robotics with high school kids. And so we really want to try to get the kids exposed to that technology, not only the robots themselves, but the process of manufacturing and you know, uh, working together in groups and problem solving. So the idea is that in any given population that's currently not engaged in the STEM economy, at least 15% of that population can be. And so we're kind of aiming for that 15%. In some cases, it may be women in engineering. That's the target area. Another one might be minority. It just depends on where we're trying to uh, pull from. So that's, that's basically what our organization is focused on. And we do this primarily in the form of competitions because human beings like to compete, and it helps formulate uh, uh, an atmosphere for all this to happen. As we discussed in our previous podcast episode, um, it, it seems to be a, a real great way to bring to bring that whole mindset of STEM into real-world applications. Because you, you do some specific things with your group, or you've done some projects mm -hmm. that are, uh, I, I know you mentioned some stuff. Uh, well, mention a couple of those right now. So, so one example of us not working directly with robots is uh, we'll, we'll form a, a, an alliance with a group like, say, the United Cerebral Palsy uh, or um, a group in Arizona called Excel, which deals with kids with special physical needs. And so we'll take our kids and have them modify a toy Jeep, one that they can ride in. And with the kids with cerebral palsy, most of the time, you know, they can't get them uh, mobile devices like wheelchairs because they grow out of them or they're too expensive. And so they kind of wait till they're older uh, before they address those. So we thought it would be great for us to be able to give the kids a Jeep they can ride in, but obviously they can't use the foot pedal. So we modify the Jeep and put a button on the steering wheel. And since the button is there, they can push it with their hand and steer. And so, f you know, for the first time in their life, they can actually move themselves. So this serves two purposes. One, it's helping a community that doesn't have access to this technology or the application of this technology. But two, it shows our kids what, with, what you can do to affect the lives of someone else with a little bit of STEM. Yeah. And so it shows them how powerful that can be on a very introductory level. Sure. That's great. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that was like the episode that we did. I was totally intrigued by it. I think it's, it's a great way to, to make STEM, you know, the STEM initiatives that you realize you're, you're, you're doing something that's a real practical application that kids in high school can see. And, that, and if anything, that's going to really help to serve to energize their interest in that. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to tip to Nancy first to tell us a little bit about safety for nonprofits. because I'd like to know more about that. So it's an organization that got started about three and a half years ago. It's also a nonprofit. Um, I don't think too many people are aware that um, there are more than a million charitable nonprofits in the United States, and uh, those nonprofits employ more than 12 million people, and more than 60 million people either serve on boards of directors of nonprofits or volunteer at boards of directors and, and at nonprofits. And so what we have learned over time is that people do get hurt um, as they do this volunteer work, especially if they're not getting a lot of training. And unfortunately, some people are even killed in the process of volunteering at nonprofits. So safety for nonprofits um, is really uh, dedicated to the, to the goal of um, providing the support and awareness and training and knowledge to try to reduce that risk because it is our belief that um, no one should get hurt 
um, while they're volunteering, and we want to make sure that it is a safe, safe and healthy place in which to work while you're doing this very charitable thing. So that's our goal. And Sharon, you're, you were involved directly with interfacing with Cise Puerte, right? Right. So AIHA had organized an opportunity for members of the local section to come out to Cise Puerto and deliver some safety training to the uh, kids that are there and to the volunteers. And once uh, we got there, it occurred to me that this would be an excellent opportunity to partner with them to be uh, one of our clients. And, you know, they, they have a, a really great operation, but uh, EHS professionals will say there's always room to improve. And so we're, we're looking to come out there in the future and provide some help around the safety procedures, documentation, and anything else that they might need. Uh, because the, the robots that they are creating, they're not just creating the robots, but they're creating um, parts of the robots with machine, basically a full-fledged machine shop operation. And so obviously there are, can be some hazards associated with that. And so we want to be sure that they have the best to offer, not just from a training standpoint, but from a safety standpoint as well. Sure. And that totally makes sense. So how long have you been working together? Uh, well, we came out, I think it was last month. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we are, haven't actually come out to do a in our initial safety assessment. Um, uh, but that's planned uh, hopefully soon. Uh, once uh, I know that you guys have been very busy with the recent competition you were with. Mm -hmm. and, and kids just getting out of school right now. Right. <laughs> Excellent. So, Freddie, uh, um, we spoke about this again in our previous interview, but I think it's, it's really important to stress this. Um, STEM, you know, in the high school level, seems to be underserved communities, right? Minorities and people seem to not be as uh, focused on STEM. Uh, and that's maybe institutionally, I, you know, I, we had a whole long discussion on that, but it, it, tell me a little bit more about your take on that and really, the, you know, some of, the, some of the impetus behind what you're trying to do with CSA Puerto there. So having been a uh, high school science teacher for 30 years in the public education system, um, I, I, I saw the, the emphasis of STEM as it came into the education system over the last 10 years of my career. And uh, a lot of it seemed to be not quite hitting the, the head of the problem. And that's that STEM, just because you teach a science or technology course, doesn't mean that you're teaching STEM. And I think that's kind of what the buzzword became so popular that it lost its meaning. For what, for what I see as being someone who's been involved in, in uh, building robots and all kinds of things for almost my whole adult life, uh, it's a process that uses science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And I think that's where schools kind of miss the mark. That's why a lot of these extracurricular STEM programs, like building robots at all different levels, uh, or even other kinds of competitions where there's a problem, you have to solve it, you have to use your hypothesis, you got to test your hypothesis. All that, I think, is very difficult and, and a little bit messy to do in an education setting uh, in a normal traditional format where you have 50 minutes and, you know, uh, a teacher has to give the information and then later you get tested on it. So projects tend to lend themselves better because they kind of resemble more real life events. Um, and even relating to the events that the kids have in their own life, like on the way to, to you know, go someplace, their car's not working. So they're going to have to apply what they know about vehicles and what could possibly be the problem. Um, even, you know, taking it to a different level, because sometimes maybe people aren't so mechanically minded, but even in relationships. I know it sounds strange, but the process works. It's, it's a, you know, 
Uh, I don't know if you want me to get into that example, we, but we've done it before. We might as well. We, so did, we didn't edit it out of the last show, so we might as well go there. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if if you want to ask, uh, you know, a girl on a, on a date, I mean, in your mind, you form this hypothesis of how would I ask her, or what would I say in order to make her want to go on a date with me? And so I go and and, and I give pose it a try. That give it a try. Well, we're, <laughs> we're going there. And I was like, <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I propose something, and then. It didn't work. So then, but I really want to go out with this girl. So I'm ev evaluating what was it that mm -hmm. I didn't do right, or how did I not? Maybe I need a new car, or maybe I need a new tire, mm -hmm. or maybe I need to be more polite. I don't know. Whatever it is. So then I come back with the, my second attempt after I've modified my high, my, my approach based on my right. previous experience, and then it works the second time. Oh. So in real life, you know, you do that whether it's cooking or relationships or trying to fix your car. It really does apply yeah. in everything and I think if you can point that out to the kids mm -hmm. that that's the process that you want to try to utilize is just being a critical thinker and a skill it's yes. a skill yeah, and it's something that a, a, a traditional school setting doesn't give the ability to do well enough and so I think that's why it's important what we do what we do and um yeah 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 but well definitely <laughs> I mean I, I think you hit like and you I think you're spot on with the fact that our traditional school structure does not really encourage critical thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, at, le at least free flow critical thinking. Okay, certainly, I, and, that, and I, those those are life skills that are like super important. Um, what what I find interesting is so with with uh, Cisse Puerte, you focus on robotics towards STEM, and, and so wh why robotics uh, in particular as your driving force for, uh, you know, for promoting STEM to people? That's a great question. Uh, in this world uh, where you have Roombas and you have self-driving cars and you have the technology from self-driving cars bleeding into uh, your manually operated cars where you push a button and it can park itself or you have all these alerts that if a car is in your blind spot and approaching at a certain speed, it lets you know. Um, even though the car might not be totally autonomous, those kind of things are showing up. So robotics is where the future seems to be pointing, whether it's AI or robots that assist people. You know, For instance, I can see um, maybe in um, elderly people, especially because I'm experiencing this with my family, um, you know, an, an adult might need assistance walking. So if you can imagine an Iron Man suit, an exoskeleton, maybe like, I don't want to say pants, but something you can attach to an older person's legs that don't have the, the, the great balance. And maybe by a little bit of motion on their part, but then supplemented by mechanical assistance, he'd be able to stand up and be able to walk without a cane. So this kind of technology is rapidly developing. And the microchips that control all this are dropping in price. So it seemed to, if you want to make the future relevant for these kids, you need to introduce them to all these concepts. So our robotics have autonomous modes. Our robotics have to do, like you said, they're you know industrial-sized robots. They could be up to five feet tall, um, and they travel at, at higher speeds than what you normally run. So having the ability to control those robots is critical. And I think whatever area of, of technology they go in, whether it's a medical industry or you know um, uh, transportation or whatever, the skills that they learn, I think, translate. Um, so that's 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 why we're emphasizing in that because we want the kids to be ready for what's coming down the line. What really struck me when when we were at your location was also the close relationships between the mentors and the kids, and that you had a lot of younger people involved. Yeah, 
that I think maybe they can relate to better. You know, people who are actually working in in fields where they can move to. You know, the one of the people there was somebody who works every day in the machine shop. So there's a you know. One of the reasons why FIRST Robotics, and FIRST is for Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology, that was created by Dean Kamen and Professor Woody Flowers to start this whole movement you know, at the high school level, um, it's those relationships that they want to develop. Because in school, again, in the classroom setting, you don't have the opportunity to learn how to work collaboratively like that. And so it's, uh, I would say, probably at, at least as important that as any of the technology that they're learning is how that they interact with people and how do you approach, especially when you don't agree on something. How do you communicate when you disagree? And how do you resolve those differences? And I think that's probably, if I had to pick one, one over the other, that's more important skill than the technology because technology you could figure out, the information's there. But learning how to interact with people, that's something you have to develop. And it's a social skill young people really do need to work on. We all yes. need to work on yeah. it, but especially the young people. Well, and what was interesting when we were there was that we had this opportunity to talk about you know, occupational health and safety out in the field to these kids, and they may have never heard of this field, uh, which is definitely a STEM field. And so it was kind of cool to see them hear about it and say, hey, maybe that's something I could consider. So it's a great opportunity when people are involved with volunteering in the community, whether through Safety for Nonprofit or AIT or anybody else, to you know really bring the message that, hey, there's this field out there that you may not have heard of, but is a, you know, a lot of people want to help people as part of their jobs. I think that's a big driver for us to become industrial hygienists. Um, and here's something where we can tell these kids, hey, you want to be a helper person? Yes, there's nurses, there's doctors, there's teachers, and there's health and safety professionals. So the, the biggest thing, and you hit it on the head, it, 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 that's very true. Again, in the high school setting, they only have the basic careers introduced to them. And so from my standpoint, if, if you want your organization to succeed, you have to get out in the community. And that's something I'll be talking about in the keynote. Yeah. And, and that is a big focus with AIHA um, in the recent uh, strategic planning is the fact that we need to reach out to young people, get into the high schools, and they've developed a whole series of talking points and information that we can use to try to connect with kids. Because even within our work environments, people don't know what industrial hygienists or safety people are. But when you get down to the high school level, it's a complete unknown in terms yes. of career paths. So yeah, that's absolutely that, true. That is um, an activity that we're trying to get more involved in as an association. And, and it's interesting, too. We've, we've over this past year uh, doing this broadcast for AIHA, uh, I've had the opportunity to ask the question a lot of times with guests of, you know, what's the most interesting or funniest description somebody's uh, fed back to you when you said I'm an industrial hygienist and the typical you know the typical answers are usually you clean factories or you clean teeth mm -hmm. right and it's just you know it, which is really it, it this many years into it I, I will say though I think there has been a little bit of a shift since the pandemic because it, you know the, the whole industrial hygiene discipline and you know environmental well, and safety right. but much more to yeah. the general public that wasn't there before just like the, the term indoor air quality or IAQ mm -hmm. um so I'm jaded because I've been an IAQ guy for 37 years so I assumed everybody understood what that meant my wife pointed out to me once that you know none of your our friends know what you're talking about ever <laughs> no stop the acronyms yeah. but you know that happens with us so one of the things I wanted to get back to that Freddie mentioned was you know I, I think we do need some sort of a paradigm shift in public education, do we not? Because we're, I think we're almost just by design excluding 
uh, students that don't want to just go rote memorization and you know and, and you know actually problem solve and, and think outside of the box right we don't really encourage that do we we, we want conformity We're just yeah. standardized testing and all that so how do we get around that so yeah that's that's an interesting thing schools again have these compartments and um, they when they talk about professions it's just basically engineer you know mathematician they just they don't have the the all the gray areas that are involved and I believe we talked about this where you know um, someone might be interested in STEM but might not enjoy the math as much but they still understand a certain amount of math and if they knew a profession they might want to go into where the mathematics is not as critical to their function uh, and you know an example might be an industrial designer because I know from from what I understand about industrial design they have a certain understanding of the mathematics involved but they're mostly concerned with you know the aesthetics the process like with your yeah. cell phone where should the buttons be on a car where should the controls and dash be where should your visual eyesight be and as a certain kind of art that, that's involved in that and so when you expose students to those things saying well this is stem but it's also maybe steam a little bit of art mixed with this but then there's also uh, anthropometrics you have to know about the human body and how far the arm can reach and mm -hmm. where should you put things so yeah i think um i don't know how you do that in a school other than you do programs after school and you expose the students to the things that they can't get during the day yep. and so that's that's why i think what we do is is kind of that way and the more students know about it the better um because a lot of them are worried about what are they going to do, what profession they're going to go into, and they think of it, I don't want to say binary, but very block-like. They don't know that, like for instance, engineering is a huge, vastly large field that goes from one extreme to the other, but they're totally unaware because they never see it. Yeah, they think if they haven't, if they're not into Calculus 3, then their, their, their science career is over. But I can tell you, as a person who did not take Calculus 3, uh, <laughs> that, that my, my science career was not over. And mm -hmm. so there are a lot of options. And, you know, again, you know, there's a, there's a million biology students, but they all think they're all going to be doctors and pharmacists and optometrists. But there's a lot of other options to do with that background. And I, I think if you speak to almost any industrial hygienist uh, of a certain age, all of us were at a point where we thought we were going to do something else. And then we took one course in industrial hygiene or spoke to one person who was actually practicing in the field. And for many of us, certainly for me, a light bulb went off. And it was like, this is it. This, is, this combines the soft skills of communication, risk evaluation, and all those other things that we do with the science. And, and so for your students that don't necessarily go hardcore, 100% science, I think it's a great profession. It was interesting when we did the, the initial interview, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to say I was taken back, but I was, I was a little surprised, you know, that your focus was primarily robotics. But then having done the interview, spending the time in the edit suite and really thinking about it, it's like, it makes total sense because that so encompasses STEM. I mean, and more, you know, there's, there's so many aspects. So it's what a great focal point, I think, to you know, to engage, you know, students in that, you know, junior high, high school level for sure. You know, so um, I, I don't want to I don't want to make you tip your hand on, on your upcoming uh -huh. thing. But it, <clears throat> could you, can you give us a, a little snippet of what, what you'll be discussing in your, yeah. you know, I'd love to hear that. So my presentation focuses on, I guess, my journey through education, primarily with a group of four kids. Um, the realizations that we came to and the epiphanies that we had. And it shows how that kind of led to where, you know, I am today uh, as far as what I think about education and, you know, what kids are, are capable of doing. 
Um, so I think that's that's it's more like a, a, a journey through education with Freddie, you know. So, and then um, one of the things I do want to emphasize, especially, um, and I and I added some slides for this uh, organization specifically, is what can you do to engage the youth? And we've briefly been talking about it. Uh, it used to be at the U.S. First Robotics Competitions, and these are especially at the national level, over 600 teams from over a dozen countries. So wow. if you're looking for diversity, there's your target audience. Yeah. Not every kid that's on a robotics team is going to be an um, engineer or a mechanical engineer or electrical mm -hmm. engineer. Some of them do it and then go into medicine or go into something else. Mm -hmm. So here's a perfect opportunity. Underwriter laboratories used to go to the events pre-COVID, and they used to do safety judging. They would go to the pits and analyze, you know, how they're organized, all their equipment, where's their safety equipment, where's their eyewash, all that type of stuff. And they would pick a winner uh, for each day and give them a prize, whatever it is. There may be a medal or a trophy or some kind of monetary gift certificate, whatever. But it's recognized. And the, the kids knew, hey, you know, if I'm in charge of the pit, I want to win that award. And so, and then that's their opportunity to engage with you. And sure. then you guys can explain what it is that you do for a career and they can go, you know, I really like that. Maybe I want to go into that, yeah. where I can be around STEM, but maybe I'm not directly the one involved, you know, with the robot, but I'm making sure all the people that are involved with the robot are safe. And so that opportunity exists. Same thing with uh, um, at, the, uh, at each of the schools. Like, for instance, you're coming to help us with our team. You know, I would imagine a lot of teams, if you're looking to volunteer, you know, in your community, when you have this broad of distribution of kids around the world, mm -hmm. I would venture to say that pretty much wherever your members are, there's probably a robotics team not too far from them. And if they reach out and say, hey, maybe I'd like to come down once a month or once a week or whatever mm -hmm. and kind of go over how you guys can, you know, how you're operating, make sure you're safe, right. you know, and then that's how they get to know you. Kids become who they interact with. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of kids I, at the school I taught ended up teaching at that high school because the only professionals they were experienced, exposed to were the other teachers. Sure. And mm -hmm. so it's the same thing, sure. you know. Yeah. Well, and I think the other opportunity that we have is to provide a message about employment safety to kids in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times kids don't know that they have rights and responsibilities around safety, and it's, it's very easy to get hurt when you're a teenage worker. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're going to be in NIH or anything else, or you're just, you know, working at the movie theater, you need to know that when they ask you to climb a 20-foot ladder and then hop it over, uh, <laughs> that that's a bad idea and that you can say, no, I don't want to do that because that's unsafe. So or, that's or, another or opportunity we have. Cleaning up blood, you know, if yes. someone gets cut and they're Absolutely. not trained to clean that up. Well, all, exactly. all those examples, and I think, you know, we, we had a discussion in one of our sessions yesterday here on the broadcast, um, that very point, you know, with, with teens in the workforce and, you know, how they're, they're probably going to be reluctant, right, to bring it up because it's just not... You know, you, you don't want to challenge authority. You think, well, you know, people in charge know what they're doing, right? You know, so, so how do you how do you change that mindset with uh, student, you know, or student age teen workers? Right. I, I think it's really important to let them know that they do have rights and that they should ask questions, and that just because they're new doesn't mean that they may not be looking at something with fresh eyes. And bringing, you know, just because we've been doing it that way for the last 20 years doesn't mean that we can't improve it and we can't make it safer. Yeah. And, so and modeling behavior. Yeah. You know, yeah, if, yeah. if we are modeling what the safe and, and effective way to do something, uh, it's not just a question of saying, wait a minute, you know, maybe this is a wrong thing or I shouldn't be asked to do this. But if we model that behavior as well, I think good health and safety leaders do that. Um, Absolutely. Model the behavior.
Yeah, yeah. So, so these are all like super, super, super important points uh, that we need to address in the workforce. Uh, we're kind of running out of time here. I know you have something to do, right, later? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I have to talk to a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's it, it, wouldn't want to like distract you from your, your from your core objective. Uh, so that's our show for this week. We'll be back again with another episode of Healthier Workplaces. Until next time, I'm Bob Krell. Stay healthy. 